0: I've got something different and wonderful for you today for Spirit in Action. As you know, Spirit in Action is all about those doing world healing work, and most of the time, my guests are explicitly, directly involved in things like peace, social justice, environmental, and other such work. I love connecting with the people doing this kind of activism, and I'm proud that we can help provide a voice for those doing this work. I also believe that there are other layers of perception, awakening, and awareness that make possible and can even supercharge these kinds of workers. And that's what I'm bringing you today. I've had both Peterson Toscano and Liam Hooper as guests for Spirit in Action over the years, and Peterson and his work for Citizens Climate Radio are featured every three months on this program. But we've got something new and I hope eye-opening for you today. We started very recently hosting a podcast that Peterson and Liam have been producing called Bible Bash. Don't get too excited at the idea of bashing the Bible, because both of them are not anti-Bible, as they have been enriched and energized by their encounters with it. Though they are, and I'm putting words in their mouths or at least ascribing intentions to them that they might not fully embrace, They are, I think, bashing the limited, narrow, and hurtful lenses through which a powerful contingent of religious folks have seen and interpreted the Bible. Over my lifetime, I've seen the growth of influences from this contingent of what are called Christian fundamentalists, who have come to control the public perception of what the Bible says very much in opposition to the ways that it has been seen and shared by folks like those of the social gospel movement of the early 1900s, or the civil rights movement and its spokespersons like Martin Luther King Jr., or like the Quaker movement from its inception back in the mid 1600s. Today we're going to reclaim a bit of the terrain with two biblical experts a gay man and a trans man whose vision and intuition seems to me to hold great promise for reclaiming and redirection of a spiritual resource that has been stolen from the common good over the past 40 to 50 years. Enough of my blather. I want to turn the mic over to today's guest hosts for Spirit in Action, two men who I think you will all love and respect and learn from Liam Hooper and Peterson Toscano. Over to you, Liam and Peterson.
1: Hey, thank you so much, Mark. It is great to be back on Spirit in Action. I'm Peterson Toscano. And I'm Liam Hooper. And we normally present a show called Bible Bash Podcast.
2: Bible Bash Podcast is a show where Peterson and I take a look at biblical stories with kind of a different spin.
1: Yeah, you could say that. Different <laughs> 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 All right. Well, we hope you enjoy this offering. We have a Bible Bash podcast for you here at Spirit in Action. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Bash podcast. Two men, a northern bell and a southern gentleman, are coming together to discuss biblical text and other text. I'm Peterson Toscano from Sunbury, Pennsylvania.
2: I am Liam Hooper from Winston-Salem,
1: North Carolina. And this is our very first episode of the Bible Bash podcast, which we will have a text that Liam's going to talk about. He'll share about that text. I'll then respond, and I'll have another text. But before we jump into it with the text that you have today, any thoughts for our listeners of what they might expect from this podcast over the next several episodes?
2: Well, I think the thing that I would like for people to expect from us is some degree of humorous engagement with the text, which you are so gifted at. And some degree of really looking into whatever text we're talking about, where LGBT and queer and trans and non-binary folks might be embedded in there. There might be some kinfolk For us to look at and expand our understanding of biblical story a little bit and have some fun.
1: And I think you bring up an essential part of this. This Bible Bash podcast is from the
2: perspective of two queer men, um, a gay cisgendered guy, a trans man who lives with a female partner who is my spouse. I actually refer to myself as a sissy with a C. I love
1: that. Love that. So, Liam, what text do you have for us today that you're going to
2: discuss? Well, I thought it would be kind of fun for us to begin in the beginning, sort of, or what we're told is a beginning. And look at the text in the chapter, the second chapter of Genesis, which is really interesting because, as you know, Peterson, in that particular text, we have this creature that we've just come to refer to as Adam And God goes through this whole process, Adam and God partnering as God creates other animals and other beings after having created the whole world, then looks upon Adam and realizes something is amiss. All the animals have partners. They have mates. And God's attempt at creating a helpmate for Adam didn't go so well. So we have this creation story where we have this person who is different from us, clearly, because God then decides this person needs to be sort of reformed and recreated and performs this sort of sacred surgery on this Adam person. And then if we look at this text in a deeper way and actually engage what the Hebrew words are and what they mean, we realize something's even more amiss in what we've been told the text says versus what it actually says. So I'm hoping that, you know, we can have some fun with that for a minute. And if you would like, and you're willing, I'd like to tell you a story the way it is actually maybe implied with the understanding of the Hebrew. How's that sound? I'm totally game. All right, let's do it. All right. So... One of the things we need to distinguish about this chapter in Genesis, the second chapter, is that in every single verse, it's 30-some verses long or 20-some, and in all of them until the last couple, this reference to this human being is ha-adam. Now, there's some interesting things about this word. This ha at the beginning in Hebrew, as you may be aware, since you're also a Hebrew geek, is a definite article. It means the or the. It's not a name. So that tells us the word following it is more of an abstract noun. It's not a personal noun. So this Adam is not Adam, your neighbor. It's a being. It's a noun that's not personal. Through all of the text, it's ha-adam, ha-adam, ha-adam until the very end, which we'll get to in a second. So there's this being that comes from two really important words in Hebrew, one of them being Adama, which is a feminine version of this same word that sounds like Adam and means ground, ground of the earth. So that tells us something. Cause if you remember the story, the story goes that God reaches into the dust of the ground, the Adama, which is what it says in the text and forms this human being of the mud, the moistened earth. So, this term ha-adam means person of the ground. It's not you, Peterson, or you, Adam. It's person of the ground. Interesting enough, on its own, I think. And then there's another word in Hebrew, dom, which means blood. So this being is a being of blood and ground. All the stuff that the universe is made of is in this being. And it's a single being. So we might begin to ask ourselves questions. Well, what is this person? If it's not got a proper name yet, if it's just a being, and it's the being from the ground, not a being, it's the being. So what is this person? Well, there are some things we can surmise by what happens next. So I'll tell you what happens next first, and we'll get to what we can surmise. What happens next is God says, you know, with a face palm of some holy nature, oh, it is... Adam has no helpmate. And that was my whole plan with these creatures, these other animals and birds and creepy crawly things, which is what they're called in the text. But Adam is still alone. This is not good that Ha Adam should be alone. I will make a particular mate for Ha Adam. And so God puts this earth being, this earthling to sleep and performs surgery. So there's this other word in the Hebrew that gets translated as rib takes a rib from Ha'adam. But this word tzelah is not rib. It means side. And this gives us some really important clues, because the times we see this word tzelah in the Hebrew text, it refers to certain things. One, where we get the idea of rib, is like the, the ribby edge of a hill or a crest. But every other time, that's like only a couple of times in the whole Hebrew canon, every other time, it's referred to the building of holy things. The Ark of the Covenant. The Temple. Ah, yes. Ha-Adam is a holy thing. And God separates Ha-Adam at Adam's tzela, side. Divides Ha-Adam. And now Ha-Adam is differentiated. This earthling now is two. And I like to believe that this is the important part of the text, the part that's all kinds of queer and trans and non-binary and every gender, all here in this one story. So, let's go back to why this is significant. Blood and earth, an undifferentiated, self-sufficient, self-caring, self-generating, we must assume, because all the animals have mates and there's a single Adam. So this original creature is undifferentiated. Phyllis Tribble, for our theology geeks out there, talked about this back in the 60s in this way. I'm taking that a little farther. So what we can assume then is God realizes that self-sufficiency is not the way of this creation that God is trying to make. That God wants relationship with us, else why make us? God could just exist as God. But God chooses to make all these glorious creatures in creation, including human beings, and realizes that perhaps maybe making self sufficient and undifferentiated isn't the way God wants to be in relationship with us. And so God opens up Adam and splits Adam open. So everything is exploded and reformed and reshaped and rethought and reimagined for the sole purpose of relationship, and the text tells us this. It is not good, ha adam, lo tov, not good, ha adam should be alone. And maybe God is telling God's self, rethinking my plan here, and us, that self-sufficiency and self-reliance and self-care alone isn't enough that we need to be fully who we are to be in relationship with one another, and that we need to be able to be in full authentic relationship with each other in order to be in full relationship with God. And so these implications, these two beings now, Eve, who is called that not because that's a proper name, but because it means mother of all the living, she will be mother of all the living, and Adam will be her partner. And she will be a dom's partner. And each of them always, going forward, contains something of the other. They were once one. Now they are two for the sake of relationship. And so then we can start talking about what's a relationship mean? Well, it's obviously to some degree about who's prepared to do what in the act of procreating and making more Adams, more humans, more earthlings. But it doesn't necessitate that they do that. And it doesn't mean that they have to have these perfect little packages of chromosomal structure or or a certain kind of genitals. It just means that these two were prepared to do certain functions to make more earthlings. And therefore every earthling, every adam, every ha-adam contains something of the rest of us. We all contain something of each other. We also contain every possible gender expression, every possible sex configuration. So intersex people are part of this holy temple of the human that God is making. Trans people are part of that. Every gender in between these male and female poles. And then everything beyond and outside of that is all somehow contained in the making of all of us. That's how I read this story. And to me that is sacred indeed. It's part of the building of the human temple, that it contained everything, every possibility for human identity and self-understanding. And yet, more than that, that's my story.
1: Okay, but wait, wait. You said that, like, there's a new word that's used at the end.
2: It's oh, not... there is. Yeah, so, like, you went from, from Adam to... Ish and Isha. So this is the point where the fundamentalist reading of text, those literalist readings, tell us that God created only men and women. So Ish in Hebrew means man. Isha means female. But these words also mean something else. And in Hebrew, the marvelous thing about Hebrew is words have multiple meanings. And sometimes they're verbs and nouns, depending on the tense and how they're being used, right? Ish also means husband or spouse, as we would say. Isha equally, as often as it means woman, it also means wife or spouse. So we get this understanding of what this relationship God is trying to create is about. It's about more than what we call sex and That being, you know, primary and secondary sex characteristics like beards or breasts and things like that and genitalia and who can do what in terms of procreation. It's about more than that. It's very much about loving, committed, helping in times of travail relationships. It allows the human beings to be intimately involved with one another. And therefore, again, every possible sex configuration is part of the creation of these humans. Every possible sexuality, or what we would think of as who we're romantically attracted to and oriented to be in relationship with, and every possible gender expression is all part of this thing that God does To create relationship. And it's also where the fundamentalists come up on it. What says ish and isha, male and female. It also just says spouse and spouse. People who love and commit in an uncovenant relationship with one another.
1: So I should refer to my husband, Glenn, as my ish. Oh, I like that. (laughs) This is my ish.
2: Have you met my Mm -hmm. ish? (laughs) Yes, and I should call Diana my (laughs) isha Or ish. Or ish, depending on the day.
1: So as part of the podcast, how it works is you gave that amazing presentation, which I'm like picking up the pieces of my brain that got exploded. And I'm like, let me put those pieces back in the head. And then after you do that. It's my chance to respond and to ask questions and listeners. You are always very welcome to ask questions at the end of the podcast. I'll share how you can get in touch with us and you can send us your questions. You could also give us your request, you know, for us to talk about a particular passage and we will very seriously consider doing that between the two of us. Hopefully one of us could, or if not, we'll just bring in somebody else. Indeed. So I'm really excited about. The, the, the Adam, mm. right? What, what is interpreted as Adam, but you said, no, this is not a name. This is a noun. This is a thing. And so I've been like kind of in my head thinking about like, so what are other ways you can say it? Like the earthling, potentially, right? The mud man or the mud person, probably more appropriate, or just the mud blood, mm. <laughs> which I think sounds very Harry Potterish. But um, I was just wondering, you know, like what are some, uh, alternative terms that you think that it could be included in the text instead of saying, you know, then God made Adam,
2: how do you express this other way, the more appropriate way of saying it in English? So one of the things I do when I teach this text, and as you know, I teach this stuff rather frequently, one of the things I do is frame ha adam in exactly what it is. So I teach people ha is a definite article. It means the, adam means being of the ground and the blood thing that bleeds and breathes and then you know that gives even more significance i think to this idea of god breathing into the nostrils of this earth being so i use terms like earth being earth creature earthling which you know which i believe is one of your favorites right earthling and just completely degender it right because that's really not what it's about it's about the creation of us as human beings that contain every possibility within us and also something always of each other. So sometimes I say things like our other part, our other partner, our other human partner, right? So I begin to use multiple words to talk about what this being must have been. And then to just explode how we can refer to one another. Like, it's okay for me to refer to you, Peterson, as my fellow human my fellow earth creature, my fellow earthling, which I know sounds kind of cheeky in some ways. you way, call right? me a mud like, person. Yeah, or my fellow mud person. I really like the mud image yeah. and the moistened earth idea, but I also am aware that socio-culturally and socio-historically in this country, in particular, the idea of mud people has been pejorative and harmful to people of color. So I do try to just for our listeners out there who might be persons of color, I try to avoid that term when I teach it. But I also at the same time love it because it calls up to me this idea of the sculptor, the holy divine sculptor that is actually embedded in the psalmody, right? The psalms are packed with this idea of God as a, as a sculptor. Yeah, fashioning. Fashioning. from clay Mm -hmm. and this idea that the clay is the place from which we come and to which we return. And I think we need to be reminded Mm -hmm. that we're part of it.
1: What I think is really important that, you know, I always stress with people, particularly folks who are listening to the podcast right now, by the way, you hear construction in the background. We're recording this in Philadelphia where they're tearing the city apart. Apparently, What I like to remind people of is there's no one interpretation Uh -uh. of a Bible story. I mean, often in the Christian tradition, there has been. There's that approved interpretation, and that's what they tell you from on high, either the pastor or the church or somebody. But the rabbinical tradition, the Jewish rabbinical tradition, is more like, well, you know, there's lots of ways of looking at this. All of them are valid to consider. And so – Anytime on this show if we share an interpretation, we're not saying this is it. No. This is what it says. This is what it is. It's like, no, no, these are these are possibilities of ways other ways of reading the text. And and that's that's really critical. Yes. And, and with that I want you, you mentioned something really powerful, I think, about this being that was created that was self-contained at first. And I keep thinking, I hear the echoes in my head in the creation story and maybe in Genesis 1, you know, let us make this creature in our image. Yes. Male and female. Yes. And this is before there's an Eve, this is before this, like, and God, God's like, I'm just going to make, make a mini me. Basically I'm a (laughs) self-contained being that contains all these worlds. Let's just do that. It's working for me or us, or however, you know, God's referring to God themselves as plural. And so creates this mini me version to operate on earth and realizes, wait, this isn't working. Mm -mm. We need to, yeah, no, this is not, this is not good. You know, maybe in our construct of wherever we are, that's fine. But this being needs something more. And in a way, it's
2: like, you know, becomes disabled. This creature doesn't have a mate. Right. There's this understanding of gender differentiation and expansiveness that we don't have. All packed into this story in these really subtle, relational partnership-making ways where God is in communion with these creatures. And in the next chapter over, God is actually going to walk into the garden and say, where are you? This is a deeply relational God, and I can't help but feel in these texts, and this just one way of reading it, that this is what God is trying to convey to the people in their self-understanding of each other and themselves and God, that it's all about relationship.
1: Well, this is a very rich I hope so. discussion no it's oh it's always exciting. you know, and I've heard you speak about this before, but every time it's just pulls back another layer. and you know the reality is people come to these texts in many different ways. I mean some come you know purely from a secular scholarly approach, looking at it as such, as another just another creation myth, which is completely appropriate way of looking at it. In fact there are two versions of the creation, Genesis one and Genesis two. There are two versions that have been put side by side that Uh different versions when there was a, a civil war and they were brought back together again. And so they are a way of trying to explain how things started. The challenge is you have modern people today who make laws, Uh looking to these texts as some sort of blueprint of how we should set our society up today. So taking very simplistic, literal readings of them and then literally passing laws to conform to their reading of this
2: text And it's meant to be metaphor, not literal. It's meant to expand our relationship with one another, not to put people in jails or to criminalize their bodies or their self-understandings. The God of my understanding would be appalled by that. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you for indulging me. And
1: thanks for also setting up for our next episode when I will talk about the other Ethiopian eunuch.
2: I am so looking forward to that. Yeah,
1: You know, I get very excited around eunuchs. I do too. A feature of this program is that we present a biblical text, which Liam did so beautifully, but then we also want to present another text. My ish, Glenn, is a writer, and he often tells me that the Bible isn't the best literature in the world, which some people may disagree with. But one thing's true, the Bible is a library of many books. Some are better than others from a literary perspective, that's for sure. But we thought, you know, the Bible gets a lot of privilege and coverage, what if we ended every episode with another text, one that is not a biblical text? And it could be modern, it could be ancient, and so the person who didn't do the presentation will then present the other text. And that's me this week. Um, so for my other text, I have a poem by a, a modern poet. Who passed away not too long ago, Adrian Rich. And I purposely knew you were going to talk about Genesis and I just like, I'm not going to force myself to have something that fits in thematically. But the one thing that does fit with this poem is about people disappearing. Because in a way, what's happened with this text in Genesis 2 is that Ha Adam has been erased in a way or has disappeared and has become this other thing. It's become Adam, this dude Adam. And this creature that was first created was basically disappeared. This is a beautiful poem, as pretty much everything Adrian Rich wrote is, um, and it's called What Kind of Times Are These? There's a place between two stands of trees where the grass grows uphill, and the old revolutionary road breaks off into the shadows, near a meeting house abandoned by the persecuted who disappeared into those shadows. I've walked there picking mushrooms at the edge of dread. But don't be fooled, this isn't a Russian poem. This is not somewhere else but here. Our country, moving closer to its own truth and dread. Its own ways of making people disappear. I won't tell you where the place is. The dark mesh of the woods meeting the unmarked strip of light. Ghost-ridden crossroads. Leaf-mold paradise. I know already who wants to buy it, sell it, make it disappear. And I won't tell you where it is. So why do I tell you anything? Because you still listen. Because in times like these, to have you listen at all, it's necessary
0: to talk about trees. That was part one of today's Spirit in Action installment from the Bible Bash podcast produced by Liam and Peterson. We'll be back to them shortly, but first I want to remind you about the ins and outs of Spirit in Action. First of all, This and our other programs go under the Northern Spirit Radio umbrella. And our website is northernspiritradio.org, where there's all kinds of good resources, like links to our guests and today's guest hosts and their Ministries Beyond Welcome website. And you'll also find their Bible Bash podcasts and other podcasts we host, like that of Citizens Climate Radio and those of everyday nonviolence and cool solutions. Find the stations that carry our programs and much more. Post a comment on these programs and give us suggestions and leads to more folks whose work and voice we should be featuring. And there's a beautiful and simple donate button, which will allow you to support this full-time work. You know that corporations and the government are very unlikely to help make this happen, so we're counting on you. And I may be telling you something you already know, but one of the best investments you can make in lifting up the people's voice is a donation to your local community radio station, like the 40 or so across the country who carry our programs. Lend them your hands, open up your wallet a bit, and you'll be growing a vibrant community. Start there. And then we'll head back to the second half of Spirit in Action, guest hosted, or co-guest hosted by the founders of the Bible Bash podcast, Peterson Toscano and Liam Hooper. Back over to you two.
1: This is our second episode. It's so
2: exciting.
1: And today, it's my turn. I get to talk about a text. Last uh, episode, the first episode, Liam talked about Genesis chapter 2, that earth being, we give them all sorts of names. Yes, the earthling, the earth creature, Ha-Adam. Ha-Adam. I'm jumping ahead in uh, the Hebrew Bible to the book of Jeremiah, and I'm going to do a story about a gender non-conforming Bible character in Jeremiah. I'll do my little talk about Jeremiah and this character. And I will ask you questions. And hopefully give me your input and comments. Yes, I'm excited. And then when we're done with that, Liam's going to come forward with
2: another text. Yes, a short reading for us to just ponder.
1: Well, I guess I should start, eh? I guess you should. Well, I want to talk about an Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch for Christians is a very popular character in Acts chapter 8. In fact, I think in the church calendar, that story is part of the reading calendar. So a lot of people know about this first convert to Christianity, the first recorded baptism. But a lot of people don't know there are two Ethiopian eunuchs in the Bible. There's this one in the Christian scriptures in the book of Acts, and there's another one in Jeremiah, Mm -hmm. Jeremiah 38. So a little backstory for people who don't know all about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. I know you thought he was a bullfrog. Yes, we did. (laughs) But see, that's a misconception I'm trying to clear up here as a Bible scholar. No, Jeremiah was a prophet. And... What typically happened with prophets was they had messages that were highly unpopular. And in this case, the message was, y'all are misbehaving. And as a result, we're going to be attacked by our enemies. They're going to drag us off into exile. And God's message is, just go with it. Don't fight. And this is a problem because people don't like to be called losers. People don't like to be called out on their sins. And people like to fight. So they rejected Jeremiah and his message. So here he is in his nation being rejected. And it gets dangerous in that he gets enemies in the court who want to silence him because he has this political message that they don't want to hear. At one point, Jeremiah gets arrested, not by the king. The king is actually sympathetic, but the king doesn't have any real power in this story. Jeremiah is dragged into the palace and he's imprisoned, and I'm not sure if they ran out of prison cells or what, but they drop him into a cistern, an old well that's sort of dry-ish but muddy on the bottom, and they just drop him down there and basically leave the old man prophet there to die. That could have been the end of the story. Enter Ebed-Melech. Ebed-Melech is actually not the character's name, it's a title, a servant of the king is one way it's translated. Ebed-Melech is the ultimate outsider in this Jewish court. Ebed-Melech is from Cush. He's a Cushite. Modern-day Ethiopia, Eritrea, that part of Africa in the northeast. Ebed-Melech is also a eunuch. And this is really really important. I mean, yes, there were lots of officials in the court who were eunuchs throughout the history. And in the ancient world, eunuchs served in lots of positions in homes and temples and royal courts. And the term eunuch is an umbrella term in and of itself. There were lots of people who were considered eunuchs. If someone was born intersex in some societies and civilizations, they would be seen as a eunuch. Not male, not female, something in the middle or altogether different. Dr. Janet Everhart, in her dissertation on eunuchs, gives the definition of a eunuch being a non-procreative male. So that could be for lots of reasons. So, you know, it's possible gay men could fall into that category who were disinterested in, in women. And, of course, there's a huge group of people who were castrated. This was a practice in the ancient world, usually without consent. Although I'm sure there are plenty of cases of people who wanted to become eunuchs. And there were two methods of castration. One was that they surgically removed the testicles, and sometimes the testicles and the penis. And in other cases, they simply crushed the testicles. So very painful experience, often happening on boys before puberty, taken from their homes, captured in war or even sold by the family because of the economic situation. You have too many kids. Here's an opportunity, possibly. But it was a difficult, painful experience of isolation, of pain. And even after the recovery, there could be a host of medical issues that come from not having testosterone in the body. Your bones get more brittle. They're, you're, you're open to a whole host of possible diseases as a result. So you have this eunuch, this ebid melek. We don't know anything really about their backstory, but we can surmise this is a foreigner, possibly captured in war, living far from home, far from family can't have their own children, probably looked different than the men and women around them. Because if ebed Melek was castrated as a boy, this person never experienced male puberty, the secondary sex characteristics. So retained a high voice, didn't have the facial hair, the body hair that come with testosterone, looked and sounded different from the men and women around them. So this ultimate outsider, this foreigner who's a gender and sexual minority, goes to the king and says, your servant Jeremiah is going to die. We've got to do something. And the king says, hey, you know, my hands are tied, but um, here, do this. Um, Take some fighting men and see what you can do. So Ebed-Melech organizes a special ops midnight raid to Navy SEAL Jeremiah out of the palace. And it's a pretty perfect strategy. From what we can tell, nobody gets injured in it. They don't have to hurt anyone. They ninja in, they ninja out with the old man prophet. Ebed-Melech proves to be a brilliant strategist. Not only does Ebed-Melech bring rope, obviously, to pull up the old man prophet, but also brings old rags with him. And I'll ask audiences when I talk about this, and I say, why do you think he brought the old rags? Some people say, well, because he was dirty in all the mud. I'm like, that's a good idea. That's not it, but that's a good idea. Uh, some say it was to create like a, a a rag-shaped Jeremiah decoy at the bottom of the cistern, like in all those Disney movies where the kid sneaks out at night and they have in the, the pillows under the sheets. <laughs> and the soldiers can look down and say, is that old man? Oh, yeah, he's still there. Other people say it was as a disguise. But Eben Melech reveals the use of these rags and says to the prophet, drops the rags down and whispers. Now, take these rags, put them under your arms so that when we pull you up with these ropes, these ropes won't burn and cut your skin. And I think about that detail that's included in the story. This character who is so tender and so insightful and thoughtful and so wanting to not cause more harm, unnecessary suffering. Someone who probably suffered a great deal. To me, it's like this is an extraordinary person that needs to be celebrated for lots of reasons. In essence, in this story, we see a black African surgically altered gender variant savior. The next chapter, chapter 39 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah bumps into Ebed says, listen, these people aren't listening to me at all. Woe is going to come upon them because they're being so obstinate. But you, since you showed me this kindness, God is going to bless you. What's interesting about that blessing is what's missing. It doesn't say God is going to bless you and your offspring, you and your children and your children's children, because for abed like that just wasn't in the card. But God is going to bless you. This is significant if you, you know, if you look at the law and if people were adhering to the law, people with crust genitals, people who were eunuchs, they were considered outsiders, abomination, not part of the assembly, just like most foreigners were. Yet you have this foreigner who is a eunuch who is being blessed. And interestingly enough, in another prophets, Isaiah in Isaiah 56, giving an incredibly bold promise to both foreigners and to eunuchs. And it says, let not the eunuchs say I'm a dried up old tree with no future and no hope. For to those eunuchs who keep my commands and honor my Sabbath, I will give you a memorial better than sons and daughters. I will write your names on the walls of my house and you will never be cut off. And it's as if the text is correcting itself or updating itself. And it was like, yeah, yeah, there was this time that we're really hard on foreigners and eunuchs and all sorts of outsiders. But no, we're, we need to update this with uh, a real justice lens. And I'm not sure all the reasons that led to Acts chapter 8. I mean, this is a whole other series of stories in a different tradition. But I think it is interesting that these Jewish raised disciples of Jesus, Philip, comes across an Ethiopian eunuch. So many, you know, centuries later, and this eunuch is reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Philip feels led of the spirit to talk to this person and to tell the good news and to baptize this person with this person's consent into the Christian church. And there's this full embrace, but we see that already began with Jeremiah and with Isaiah. And so I say to folks, you know, when they ask me, well, who is your favorite Bible character? And there are many, and many bizarre ones. Without a doubt, say, my favorite Bible character is Ebed-Melech. And I only wish I knew this character's real name.
2: Yeah, so I'm rather fond of our little servant of the king who rescues Jeremiah. And I really appreciate your telling of this story, because it seems that this is where my question is going to evolve out of. It seems that your sort of affinity for him comes from a lot of the same place that mine does is this enormous compassion in this, this person he would expect not to really have a lot of compassion for regular folks, whatever that case may be, this thing of the rags and this gentle whisper. So I'm wondering when you think about Ebed do you see parallels in our common time in our common era with ways that particularly gender expansive or trans persons that you have interacted with, because you you hang out with us a lot, and we're really glad to have you, where you see parallels that people might could draw for that level of compassion for strangers.
1: Well, one thing I, I know for sure is that in the Christian church, often outsiders are forced out. This can come in a lot of ways it could be you know a person with a disability it could be someone suffering from depression it could be a gender non-conforming person and in white evangelical churches in particular there seems to be a very strict code of who's in and who's out and so i'm not trans but i'm gay and i'm kind of femi, and always have been for years I was part of evangelical churches where I was desperately trying not to be gay and I was very open about that I let people know this is my struggle and what was so painful was I was part of that community I was welcomed and they took my money (laughs) and they were happy when I was in the (laughs) seats and they even took some of my ideas like the pastor would sit with me and I would give the pastor ideas for sermons and such but I was never allowed to preach that wasn't my place Uh And there was this distinct pain of being in a group, but not really in this group, discovering, oh, I'm actually a second-class citizen. And I remember it was back in 2009 when they were trying to pass the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. It was going to be inclusive of trans people because of gender identity and gender expression. And in the last minute, the gays, you know, including Barney Frank, took that language out of that bill, knowing that the bill wasn't going to pass anyway. And they had all sorts of legislative strategic reasons for doing it, they said, but really what people saw and felt was you just threw us under the bus. We thought we were part of this LGBTQ rainbow collective. Trans people have been showing up for the marriage equality things and standing and all. You look at the landscape. There's not a single trans person running any of these organizations on any of the boards That pain of being caught out like that, that resonated for me. And it was just when I began to do this work of transfigurations and gender nonconforming Bible characters. And I felt that affinity. I mean, my experience was very different, of course, but that affinity of, of that pain of, oh, they don't really want me. As a result of that time, one of the upsides is so many really good trans organizations started up or existed and grew, there have been big changes, much more needs to be done. Indeed,
2: yes. You know, so what's so wonderful about you and your work is that I'm sure you hear this from from our community a lot, but I want to be sure that you hear it from me. You speak about these things in a way, and speak about gender and about trans and gender-diverse oppression in a way that really gets it probably better than most of the allies I know. You have this insight that continues to fascinate me, like how you really get what we go through, and then find these stories that, I know in the work that I do with LGBTQ and particularly trans folks trying to work out their faith issues and find a place to land and all of that, that people have no idea this eunuch exists in this little story, this well, larger story about Jeremiah, but that this person also is rescuing someone who is speaking on behalf of God, is not lost on me. And then that Jeremiah becomes the voice of saying to this person in much the same way that will happen with Philip later, you will be blessed in a direct kind of way implied in Isaiah 56, which is, you know, is one of my favorite passages. There are ways that that blessing is conferred upon us in the now, whereas all these These other blessings that we're used to in the Hebrew text, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, are these things that are sort of down the road, right? Like you will be the start of all these nations. Your offspring and their offspring will be blessed and your people will be my people. And, And yet these gender diverse folks, these eunuchs, get blessed now. I think I can see how
1: somebody can really hold on to that. I do have a problem, though, with Jeremiah's blessing. Because it is a conditional blessing. It is. Because you showed me this kindness, God's going to bless you. As opposed to, you are worthy of blessing because you are. Yes. And there's all this discussion about DACA, folks who were brought to this country illegally as children. You know, there's their status of... Will they be able to continue to stay here legally or not? And, and so much of the narrative is, but look at all that they contribute. Look at all that they give. Like almost commodifying their experience as Americans. Like they are worthy to stay because they are paying their taxes and they're working hard. And, and I understand when you're running a country, you know, you need to worry about taxes and that sort of thing. But when it comes to blessing, I think that, yeah, I think people can be blessed for doing certain things and thanked and shown a gratitude. But I think that in that evolution of understanding, I think we need to come to a place of just blessing someone regardless of what they've done or not done, but because of just who they are. And we're just grateful that you exist and you deserve a blessing. And in fact, maybe some people can't do the great things that they want to do until they have that blessing. And I, and I often say to folks who want to be allies, like they're like, well, how do I be a good ally? What should I say? What should I do? It's like, give some money. That's, you know, organizations for people who are vulnerable populations, who are marginalized. Sure, they need you to show up. They need you to speak well, but they need your money because part of the privilege of being privileged is we can make more money, whatever the privileged group is. That is a blessing that can lead to,
2: you know, to other stuff happening. Indeed. And you stole my, you must have anticipated the next question because it's not lost on me either that this blessing is conditional. It's not, oh, you're just a fabulous person and God loves you because God loves all of us. But because you did this. Yeah. And then for gender expansive folks who also have other conditions that make them more vulnerable, more ostracized, more cast out, not unlike Jeremiah's being tossed in the cistern. That is the way our entire lives are. Right. We have to do a little bit extra We have to do something kind to the people who look like the people who oppress us in order for people to go, oh, you know, you're just a regular folk. How about that? And oh, here's, you know, here's a cookie or whatever. But we don't get the luxury of just being people and having inherent value and intrinsic value just because we're people. We have to do something. And so the other side of that is always we have to do it right. With the dominant culture, think, well, that was the wrong way to do that. So then we get the curse. You know, throughout the Bible, there's always blessings and curse, blessings and curse. And the prophets are full of those. If you do what God asks you to do, you get these blessings. Because you didn't do that, here come the curses, right? I feel like we're always sort of in this tension between having to figure out how everybody needs us to behave so that we're... Maybe not so much blessed, but not so much vilified or not so much persecuted. And yet we also have to try to anticipate how everybody needs to hear that, right? And I think that's probably something you know a little bit about by being a gay man. It's also not lost on me that,
1: you know, we're talking about characters who are foreigners. Mm Mm-hmm you know, at a time when foreigners and immigrants are being targeted in our country and, you know, stands out and that this is a a person of color, what we would, the term that we would use today. And I remember doing a presentation in Philadelphia a couple of years ago at a Quaker meeting house, but there were a lot of people of color. One woman, a black woman afterwards came up to me and said, wow, this is so fascinating. You're telling me about, you know, these African characters and people of color in the Bible. Who else is a person of color in the Bible? And I'm thinking, kind of all of them, except like maybe the Romans, (laughs) you know, which look maybe (laughs) a little like me, (laughs) like me, the Roman, like in the Christian scripture. But like these are all people of color. These are all people that would be targeted today in America if they, you know, came to the border. Jesus himself, I did a wacky experiment with a bunch of gay Christians once where we tried to create a grinder profile for Jesus.
2: I wish I'd seen that. (laughs) And
1: and the idea was, you know, Grindr is this app for gay men to find other gay men for lots of reasons, including sex. But in this case, we just said, you know, let's just see if Jesus had a profile, what would Jesus be looking for? And what would Jesus look like? And I said, the only thing I have is that we need to have consensus. We cannot put anything about this profile unless we all agree to it. And do you know, we never got past Jesus's physical appearance. Because they all wanted this, like, tall Hollywood Jesus. I'm like, Jesus is probably shorter than most of us because of the times he lived, the diet he probably had as a poor person in, you know, Nazareth. And they're like, but he had all that gold from the <laughs> – they were like, all the gold from the magic. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh- <laughs>
2: um, Maybe not really.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, like what color his skin was and, you know, like what race do you put, Middle Eastern? They, they were getting more and more uncomfortable when they were actually thinking of the historical Jesus. As opposed to this other Jesus that they mostly, you know, white folks in churches were told about. One of the things I think is most powerful for the Bible scholarship that I do is simply just seeing who's there without adding a ton more commentary, just acknowledging who's there.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that in itself can be very powerful. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. I, I am a big fan of eunuchs and there are many eunuch stories. So in this Bible Bash podcast, I could probably do <laughs> Five episodes on just different eunuchs. So now we come to the other part of our show, the other text. In this episode, Liam has another text to share. And these are always non-biblical texts because we want to you know, show that there are other texts in the world worth our consideration. Uh, so, Liam, what do you have for us
2: this time around? Well, this time I chose actually a Jewish poet. His name is Yehuda Amichai. And it's very hard, actually, to find translations in English. But thankfully, you know, one of my best friends is a rabbi. I happen to have an English translation of one of Amachai's poems called The Place Where We Are Right. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plow, and a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. Thank you for listening to Spirit in Action. We're really grateful to be with you today.
1: If you want to hear more of what we do with the Bible Bash
2: podcast, you can find us
1: wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: And you can email us with suggestions or comments at ministriesbeyondwelcome at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you, Mark, for having us as
0: guest hosts. Indeed. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome, Liam and Peterson. I love to see the way that your vision and your minds penetrate beyond, unbind us from the narrow and painful constraints that we are trapped in. Both of you are powerful and visionary voices for a different and, I think, a better way of seeing and healing the world. Remember, folks, to check out Peterson's Citizens Climate Radio podcast on the Nordenspiritradio.org website and the past interviews I've done with both Liam Hooper and Peterson Toscano and give us your feedback and suggestions on our site. We're bringing in Liam and Peterson and other guest hosts because it takes a village to raise us all. Put your hands and hearts to the work of justice and community building. There is definitely work we can do individually, but together we can change this world. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action.
2: I just feel the echo